my mother's name is uh, Loretta. She was a, a magician's assistant and met my father on Broadway back in 76, I believe. And she worked for him, you know, she was one of the the showy girls who wore the sequins and with the wavy hands and would be sawed in half and bring out all the the various magical instruments that Great Spumoni, my father, would be using during a show. And uh, they eventually met and fell in love and had me. I was, I was the first son of the Great Spumoni and... My father would frequently bring other magicians' assistants to the house, which my mother would always cover, saying that, oh, yeah, they're just practicing in the other room. But the more and more I think about it, those were not practice noises going on in the other room. And it was it was very difficult for me, particularly since my mother never cast a bad word towards him or ever saw him in bad light. She always upheld him to be this creative magical person that she'd fallen in love with uh, before I was born. So I first saw G.S.'s show in Atlantic City back in uh, 76. He was doing a few small-time bits, you know, levitating ladies, cutting them in half, that sort of thing. He didn't really get into disappearing till about 79. Now, don't get me wrong, he was still good then. You know, he could pull a rabbit out of a hat like no one else. But... Shortly after that, he got the uh, Spumoni Hour, and, you know, things took off from there. It's always good to see someone succeed, but uh, he kind of let the fame get to him, you know? Some people do that. The show went on for a really long time. I remember when he made the, uh, the Washington Monument disappear. Uh, it was pretty good. The nighttime shows had a great bits about that with the uh, impotence of America. But then uh, later on, you know, he made Akron, Ohio disappear. Akron isn't that big, but, you know, no one can make a big city disappear. And really, after that, where can you go? Is he going to disappear a continent? I mean, the only one you could really go for would be Antarctica, but it's it's just too big. Not to mention coal. One day, this, this man, he approaches me from uh, far away, from behind a little bit, and I... Uh, I noticed he was wearing a, a long green uh, suit coat, sort of teal, you know, and he's wearing a bow tie, and his hair is his hair is unkempt. It is wild. It is uh, something a little bit sexy, you know. Yes, and uh, he approaches me slowly, and he he taps me on the shoulder, you know, and he says, uh, "Excuse me, could you fit in a four by two foot box?" I say, "Well, you know what is that in meters?" I I do not know these feet you speak of, you know, you stupid Americans. And he says, I don't know. Why don't you come with me and find out? And so I say, well, you know, there's something, there's a little something about him, you know. It's, it's, I cannot explain, you know, there's something in his air. He, he's not conventionally um, attractive, really, at all. But there's a something, something he possesses, you know, something he exudes that just drew me to him. And so I said, okay, I'll follow you. Wherever you want to take me, I'll follow you. He takes me down some stairs takes me through the alleyway. We go down some more stairs into a very dark, dark basement. And I say, what is this? Where are we? Where have you taken me? What are we going to do? What do you do to me? He says, sit in the coffin. It is a, a coffin store where they sell the coffins for, you know, the dead people. And I say, uh, what, what are we doing here? And he says, well, you know, um, I, I want to know if you can fit in a, a box of this size. So, well. Fine. 
I figured maybe it's, you know, part of the game or something. I, I climb up, I sit in the box, I lie down, close the lid, I, I'm in a coffin. I know not what I'm doing in this coffin, but there I am. I lay there for a couple of minutes and he says, perfect, perfect, you are perfect, perfect, will you come with me? I can do nothing at this point, but continue to follow this man, he has, he has my heart in his hand. And so, I say, yes, I will follow you. with the great Spumoni was much more isolating and uh, and lonely than than one would even anticipate. I did have I did have two other brothers, but you know we were we were constantly battling each other for the great Spumoni's attention. And even when we did, it, it wasn't even enough because we'd get his attention and he would just show us some magic trick. If if I brought home a, a picture that I drew in class or a good paper that I wrote, you know, he'd look at me and he'd say, oh, well, that's great. I just made the city of Akron, Ohio disappear. And, and, and how can you compete with that? You know, as a, a seven-year-old kid, you go back into this reversion of your own magical lifestyle. It's like, well, well, I rode a dragon to school today, and, and the great Spumoni would look and say, son, don't be ridiculous, there are no dragons. And it's just those, the, he, he made you draw the line between, you know, what was his magic, what was pretend magic, and you couldn't live in a magical world that wasn't his magical world, and yet you couldn't live in a real world alongside him because he's in this magical world. So really the only way to interact with him was to be a long-legged, voluptuous woman in sequence. So I, he asked me to follow him, to stay with him, you know, and so I said, yes, yes, i irresistibly drawn to you, I can do nothing but be with you. And so he says, wonderful, you will be my magician's assistant, you will dress in sequin dresses, and you will perform my tricks with me. So at first, you know, at first it was... It was amazing. It was exciting. It, it was always something new every day. And uh, <laughs> the tricks he would have me do, the first one I can remember so well, he cut my arm off with his saw. It was magical. It was beautiful. He had me lay, lay on the table in front of everyone. And I don't know how he did it. I never, never knew his tricks, but I trusted him. Trusted him implicitly, wholly, completely. Another of our favorite tricks was when he he would levitate me, lay again on the table in my sequin dress and wait for him. Wait for him in the dark. The light was so low. I had no idea what was going on. No idea. But all of a sudden, I would be up in the air, floating, floating above the table, just like I was in heaven. And he was right there with me.
it was lovely. You know, it's nothing better in the world. I was with the man I loved. And I, I could not want anything more. Except, then we would go home. And I would, I would want to have a nice uh, romantic candlelight dinner over some frog's legs or some escargot. Quelque chose comme ça, tu sais. Mais non, non. Chaque soir, every night, it was, no, I must practice my magic. I have no time for this. I, I must go into the basement. I'm sorry, my dear. He would have his way with me on the magician's table, out in front of everyone. But when we were alone, there was nothing. No spark between us. The spark was only, only at the show. Only when he was being a magician, you know. When I was in high school, the great Spumoni's career uh, was starting to not do so well. This was uh, when you had David Blaine and all these other illusionists that were springing out of nowhere and uh, showing that they could speak uh, across eons with dead people and so on and so forth. And the great Spumoni just wasn't, his material hadn't changed from uh, the standard issue stuff that he'd done. And at this time, this is when my peers started to resent me, too. No longer was the time of the great Spumoni lunchbox, thermoses, backpacks, sweatshirts, sweatpants, shoes, armbands, watches, you know, you name it. And they'd throw me into a locker, and they'd lock it up, and they thought it was funny because, you know, I I disappeared, and I was the great Spumoni's son showing how magical. You know, I wanted to be a home decorator. I wanted to change the way that the interior of buildings looked. And this this was something that was just not acceptable in my father's book. I was lonely. It made me very sad. You know, I had I had no one else. I was really close to it by this point, you know. He took up all my time. I was infatuated, obsessed. I had no other life besides him. And yet, he was only my life as a magician. And so little by little I began to realize this. I could always forgive him because he was so amazing. At the shows, he was incredible. Oh, this one time. Oh, my favorite, favorite show. This was amazing. He was in the process of making me levitate. And then he made me disappear. Somehow, we reappeared together under the trap door of the stage and made sweet, sweet love. For about 20 minutes. No one knew where we were. The show was on hold. Everyone was in suspense. And then we reappeared. After our lovemaking. On the stage and took our bows. No one knew. It was so passionate. He has such passion. But only as a magician. I did not understand this for a long time. I thought, you know, he could change. He was just very busy with his work, you know. Once the show was over, once we finished this tour, once he perfected this trick, then things would go to normal. We could have a normal life. He would be mine.
great Spumoni lived in a fantasy world, and I don't think he ever gave my mother the chance that she deserved. When my mother became pregnant with me, she eventually couldn't fit in the box that you're cut in half, and they have the, the closet. When you open the closet, and she wouldn't be there, and she couldn't fit in these these magical contraptions anymore. And uh, to the great Spumoni, this, you know, this just, this couldn't do. He had to find someone else. And my mother always held herself accountable and she pushed herself, but she couldn't do it after the second trimester. You know, my great spoon, I said, after the second trimester, you're done. You know, I can't use you anymore. And he went out and he found a, he found a new long-legged voluptuous vixen to take the place of my mother. I know there's a lot of talk about how the great Spumoni wasn't all that faithful to his wife. Well, when you're sitting around with the woman that you just sawed in half after the show, you know, there's a certain kind of intimacy there. And it's easy for that to lead to other things. Believe me. So... I can sympathize with the guy, but I think he got a little carried away. The same way he did with everything. There's one thing you can say. The great Spumoni knew how to put on a show, but he also knew how to live to excess. Apparently, I was not as, uh, not as good as I was hoping for some of the tricks. I, I don't know. I, I don't know what I was doing wrong. Uh, I did what I could. Uh, I did what I was doing all along. He seemed to like it before, but... Uh, one day, uh, Suzanne came. Suzanne is cute little thing, always wearing pink and baubles and blonde hair and, you know. I don't understand what, how men are attracted to these kinds of things. But, you know, there she was one day and uh, he said, Oh, this is Suzanne, you know. Suzanne is going to uh, help me with some of my tricks, you know. I've uh, been experimenting with some other newer ideas and uh, I just think that her talents might be a little bit more appropriate for what I'm trying to do now you see I say oh okay bon ça va <laughs> that is fine you know I'll continue to do my thing uh, that's fine you know it's a little miffed but you know I figure uh, I'm the best he's going to get he'll soon realize that Suzanne is nothing but a strumpet you know but uh, more and more uh, I found myself um, being told by this man uh, who I loved, that uh, I was to entertain the audience on my own, and he would be right back. He had something to take care of, you know, to go into the other room for something. And so, you know, I would, I would dance, but uh, I knew exactly what he was doing. I knew exactly who he was with. He, he and that harpy, they would go go off into the room, go into the trap door. I know where they were. I'd be dancing. Dancing on stage. Tears streaming down my face, my mascara running. But I kept dancing. Spumoni drove our entire family apart. Everything was shot down. 
when I brought a girlfriend home from school, the first thing he'd do is he'd try and fit her in that damn box. He'd try to, you know, saw her in half. He, You want to talk about prom date disasters. I spent the entire time in a emergency room because the great Spumoni had cut off my prom date's toe. And between me and you, he did this most intentionally because she couldn't fit in the box. And he was outraged that I would dare even look at a woman who wasn't up to his sequin-covered standards of a, a, a magician's assistant. He wanted us to be magicians. And <laughs> I hate magic. And I, <laughs> I would never, ever be a magician. It's just a, it's a stupid, uh, shallow thing to trick people into thinking that he did something super. How can you make a city disappear? Akron, Ohio, I know it's not the prettiest place in the world, and I know that a lot of people would benefit if it actually did disappear, but the fact of the matter is, is you can't make a city disappear. It's just a, it's a stupid trick that you do. It's, it's a waste of time. He is not contributing anything to society. And, you know, when I say something like, I want to I wanna improve the way that people uh, live and I want to make the insides of their homes nicer and, and a better place to live in, no, that was not acceptable. A, a career in magic was the only way to go. And the sad thing was, is his career was an utter failure. The, the last... 30 years of he had no creative ingenuity like it, it, it went from he made uh the the washington monument disappear which it, at the time was a fairly spectacular thing and then he had to go to egypt uh and make the great pyramids disappear and those weren't big enough so he went and made a, a, a filthy city in the middle of ohio disappear and i just there comes a point uh what can he make disappear next he knew that there was nothing left in this disappearing business. Like, once you do a city, you know, that you're done. That, that's it. And then there was Natalie. Natalie came after Suzanne. Big dark curls, dark sultry eyes, you know. She was from Belgium. Those Belgians. So then it was, uh, you know, why don't you, why don't you uh, dance a little bit, you know, entertain the audience while I uh, go do something in this other room with, uh, you know, Natalie and Suzanne. And so there I would be dancing again all alone. And he would be off with these other women. Things went on this way for a while. You know, more women came and I began to realize what I was to him. I was a tool. That is all I was. I was a tool. For him to manipulate, to do his tricks. That's all he cared about. He cared nothing for me. He cared only about his stupid tricks. Growing up with the great Spumoni was difficult for a number of reasons. Um, I, I had rabbits, obviously, since rabbits were the magician's animal. And the thing was, is I would, I would never have a rabbit for more than two or three weeks. The great Spumoni would use my pets for his magic shows and you know after making them disappear or turn into a, a bunch of tied silk scarves i would never see it again my my pride and joy was my ninth birthday i got a black labrador puppy which i absolutely adored and i had this this dog for two and a half months and this was the longest his name was ginger it was the longest time i'd ever had a pet and 
for for Christmas. The great Spumoni thought it would be a, a wonderful idea if he did some fantastic magic trick for me. Uh, his gifts were always magical and making things disappear or turning them into something. And he turned my dog Ginger into a rock. It was a, a slab of granite. And being nine years old, this was absolutely devastating to me. And I still, I kept that rock until I was in high school. And I, in fact, I, I, wa- I gave it water. I made it drink water. It, it's actually very sad. Um, I walked it with a leash it ended up dragging, and it was, I must have been just an absolute mess to see walking down the street with this, this slab of granite on a leash. So one morning I, I wake up in our big uh, queen-size bed, and I, I roll over and uh, to kiss my, my lover, and uh, Natalie is there in his stead. I say, what are you doing here, you bitch? Get out of my bed! What is my love? She says, oh... God, shut up, you bitch. Go back to bed. I said, no, where is he? I get up. I run through the house, calling his name. No answer. I know now that he is gone. His lime green Volkswagen Beetle is gone. His shoes are gone. Toothbrush, gone. Suzanne is gone, too. He's run off. My cockpot is gone, too. I knew we'd take that. Like I said, he let the fame get to him and he he spent a bit too much. You know, when you start getting solid gold top hats, I mean, that ain't even useful. You can't wear one of those things. It's just too heavy. And the rabbit won't sit still in it. But uh, he got a lot of extravagant things. And and he made some deals with not-so-great people. So I guess he ended up in some trouble. The thing about the decline of the great Spumoni really started with that issue of his disappearing acts. It was the mid-80s, and his acts started to be concerned with making things like evidence disappear or dead bodies disappear that were floating in a lake. Or he even made uh, 16 mob members from New Jersey disappear, which made the uh, FBI extremely aggravated with him. And they held him in contempt of court, which landed him in jail for ten years. I knew not what to do. I was beside myself. He had left me. After all I had done for him. After everything I had given of myself. And what had I gotten in return? I had gotten twenty minutes under the trap door of the stage. Here and there, when he had time, when he was not practicing his magic tricks, when he was not pacing back and forth, when he was not sawing off my arm in front of an audience. A Frenchman. You know, really in many ways during the Spumoni trial, you can't blame the man for what he did because it really was the first rule of the magician's code. You don't tell anybody how you do the trick, you know? 
But uh, I guess that isn't a constitutionally acceptable defense. But the state really railroaded him. I mean, I guess they, they really wanted these mob guys. I mean, I don't know what these guys did, but the great Spumoni was the great Spumoni. And you just can't take a man like that from society. But they did it anyways. So, he's up there on the stand, and, you know, he keeps pulling nickels out of the judge's ear, and he's got this never-ending handkerchief. I don't know. I mean, they were great performances, but it just didn't seem like the place. And appearing in court with a cloud of smoke just isn't a good idea. It's not a well-enough-ventilated room. You got the smoke everywhere, people clamoring about, the judge banging his gavel. It was craziness. I don't know what he was thinking. I think he might have lost it a little bit already then. But it was still fun to watch, you know? The man was a showman, and he knew what he was doing. I left. What else could I do? I went back home to Montmartre. And it was there that I realized that I was pregnant. I had this baby, this man that I loved, but I never, I never could bring myself to tell my son who his father was. Somehow, I just... I didn't know how to put it exactly. Son, uh, your father was this uh, schizophrenic uh, psychopath magician who, you know, used me for his magic tricks and did not love me. <laughs> you know, that doesn't sound so great, you know. You don't want to tell your son this. I told my son that his father died in the war. I never really uh, specified which war, but, uh, you know, it's generally a, a safe sort of, you know, excuse. You know, the war. Oh, yes, it was terrible. He died, you know, fighting for his country, etc., etc. My son didn't didn't question this at all until, uh, you know, he got to be about, uh, oh, what, 16 or something. And uh, then he asked me, he says, Mother, uh, what war did, uh, did my father fight in? You know, what? how did he die? Was he brave? Was he honorable? Oh, I say, you know, uh, Jean-Paul, ton père, he did not go to war. He was not a fighter. He was not a brave soldier. He was the great spoon money. My son says, what? <laughs> what, what, what are you talking about? I say, son, I, I have lied to you. For 16 years of your life, I had lied. I, I knew not how to break the news to you. But your father was a magician. Your father is a magician. He travels the world and performs magic tricks for audiences in every country, everywhere you can imagine. He is so well known. He is the great, the amazing, the wonderful, splendiferous Spoon Money. And my son says, Mother, I hate you. <laughs> just heard through the grapevine uh, that the great Spumoni's career had been going downhill for a long time. He'd been doing card tricks and 
he'd lost his finger dexterity and he wasn't able to escape from the stray jackets and and the handcuffs and he had he had been planning this this elaborate scheme they were they were going to retire the USS Pennsylvania in in the harbor and uh his his plan was is they were going to put him in a coffin with a stray jacket on and handcuffs and they're going to fill the entire thing with jello jigglers and then let the boat sink down to the bottom of the Chesapeake and somehow my 63-year-old father was supposed to get out of this mess. And, you know, being in a sinking boat, you ask anybody who has ever been in a sinking boat, that, that's, a, that's a complete disaster. Some people need to know when to retire, you know. You just can't stick around too long. But uh, then he came along with this uh, battleship on the harbor with the jello and everything. It seemed crazy to everybody, but uh, it got a lot of coverage. So I'm watching this, and honestly, I didn't believe it when he didn't make it. I was crushed. He's my greatest hero. But, uh, you know, I guess every hero has to fall, and you deal with it. By the time my son has finally come around to accepting who his father was, his father um, dies, actually. Um, his father died during those uh, several months that uh, my son was not speaking to me. And so I could not tell him that his father died. And my son comes to me and he says, Mother, I, I would like to meet my father. I think I'm okay with this. I think I understand. I think I would like, I would like to come to terms with, uh, with my heritage. And I say, son, your father is dead. Yeah, yeah, that's what I said. He had actually died... Uh, the previous week, no less, uh, he uh, packed himself into a, a coffin, I found out. <laughs> and he uh, puts a coffin on a ship, a battleship, filled with uh, something, jello or something like that, I don't know, some, some sort of gelatin, something. That's what I read in the newspaper, and uh, he uh, sank himself to the bottom of the sea. I tell my son this, I said, well, you know, son, he, uh, he actually just died. He... Uh, Packed himself in a coffin, uh, put himself on a ship, and died with uh, gelatin. He died amidst a uh, deep, watery sea and uh, orange jello. I, I, I called the great Spumoni and tried to get a hold of him. And when I finally found him, um, he was in California. And he, uh, he, was, he was resilient. And he was, this was, he had to do this. This was for the pride of the great Spumoni. I think that he saw that his career had been declining for quite some time. And uh, this was a, a last ditch effort. And it, it's, it's really tragic, but at the same time, it is a very fitting ending to a story of the great Spumoni. He, he ignored everyone who should have meant anything to him in his life. And uh, yeah, that's just, that's inconsolable. I hate the great Spumoni, and I always will. Mm-hmm. 